today when I, when I was thinking about coming to Altanina before my mom's passing, I was gonna, I was like, yeah, I need to talk about the cross had been developing um, this, this talk for a long time and uh, kind of uh, tweaking it and uh, speaking about it and teaching on it. Uh, this has been a product about 18, since 2018, so uh, what would that be, five years or so, of me kind of going, uh, I'm an Orthodox believer, but why, when I think about the cross, do I not just break down and weep in gratitude? And uh, I should, but why am I not? So I went on a, on a journey to figure out what was going on. And uh, I think God has really blessed that. It was part of my sabbatical time. And, uh, and so some of these ideas are gonna come from that long process of uh, seeing that something was not there and, and then trying to uh, fill in for it. And, uh, and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not all the way there. I'm, I'm not, I, there's, so much, there's so much depth in what Christ has done on the cross. Uh, I, I just feel like I've scratched the surface and, 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 and I really like what I see. I really like what I see about who God is and what his character is um, and what his power is as it is, as it is displayed on the cross. Um, I think, uh, you know, we, have you ever thought of why the cross is our symbol? Why, why when you think about the Christian church, uh, whether Protestants have a nice uh, wooden cross up or Catholics have one with Jesus hanging on it, uh, why, why, why is the cross why did that become the, the way we, we, we talk about our faith? Why don't we have like a nice little round stone, you know, like a, like a necklace with a stone, you know, like the rolled stone of Easter? You know, it's a lot more powerful. It's a lot more glorious. Uh, why don't we have like a little cloud hanging on our, our necklace? You know, Jesus went up in the clouds. Clouds are beautiful. They don't have this weird history of torture and stuff. Um, but... But we have settled upon the cross as our symbol, historically. And why, why is that our symbol? Why, 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 why does something that represents uh, human creativity and will and power to dominate and make suffer our fellow human beings? Why does that symbol get associated with our faith? Why, why does a, a, an object of absolute torture and horror, one that, if I was talking about anything else similar and showing, you know, uh, depictions of torture, you, you know, you have to cover people's eyes and it would be, it'd be terrible, but, but it's become common uh, knowledge for us today. But why, why is that absolutely horrible symbol of human ingenuity to do wrong, to hurt, to shame, why is that? all of a sudden something that we carry around proudly as part of our faith. And so that's a lot what I'm, I'm going to be trying to talk about today because uh, that, that it's so much a part of, of what God's character is. And um, towards the end of the, of, of the talk, um, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up kind of the, the, the summary of all that. But um, when I thought about a passage that would kind of encompass a lot of what I see done on the cross. There's all kinds of great texts in the New Testament. There's obviously the whole, the, the majority of the Gospels, the four Gospels we have, focus on the cross, focus on that last week, 
um, of Jesus' life. Um, but, but one that, that has really impacted me over the years is one that's written five to 700 years before Jesus, depending on which scholar you listen to. Um, the, the enormity and the, and the sacrifice and the significance of the cross was already echoing throughout history. And it was right there in front of us, and we didn't see it. Uh, Jesus made it clear. And hopefully it becomes even more clear today. And I, I took a, a little bit of liberty when I, when I wrote down the text um, to, to, you know, the, in, the, in, the, in, in the Jewish tradition, they didn't think it applied to Jesus, but we, looking back on it, uh, do. And so I, I interspersed um, uh, the name of Jesus uh, in, in some of this. But um, it's Isaiah 53, and the, the whole chapter, starting even earlier in Isaiah 42, um, servant song is, is very, very powerful and it's worth meditation, but um, for brevity, I, I just focus on these three verses. Um, he was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering acquainted with infirmity. As one from whom others hide their face, Jesus was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Jesus was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. It's a great and beautiful summary of a lot of what Christ did on, that cro on the cross that day. And Jewish people, this is, this is a poem written to people coming out of slavery, and they're, they're probably wondering, what's going on? But this is how we come out of the slavery of the world and pain that we're in. Because this is how Jesus and how God deals with it. Um, One of, the, one of the controversial aspects of the cross is that for the cross to make sense, we need to believe in a God of wrath, a God who gets angry, a God who doesn't take it, a God who stands up. Um, and, you know, that's not a very, very popular thing in, in our modern culture. We, we, we kind of flee from evil, but um, after especially living in North Africa, I need a God who gets angry. I need a God when he sees injustices that I've seen, uh, will do something about it. I need justice to be made. Uh, I, you don't want me in charge of justice. I don't want any of you in charge of justice. We need somebody who can perfectly execute that justice. And that's where Jesus steps in. And he shows us a lot of what he does with that justice. And he shows us that on the cross. We have a God, I need a God who rages against the machine and who holds that tension between uh, love and justice. I mean, John Mark Comer, one of my favorite new theologians, younger theologians, um, he calls the wrath of God the reverse side of God's love. And I really like, I think it's him, but somebody I've been reading recently is God is reluctant in his wrath 
but overabundant in his love and his mercy. And I think the cross shows that. God, God knows he needs to do something because he has to do something. He has to stop the injustice. He has to do something about the iniquity in our world. But when he gets a chance to show his mercy, it comes all flowing out. But he doesn't stop being a God of wrath. God, God does not sit up in, in, in heaven and look down disdainfully on us and kind of go, oh, I have to put up with these people. The cross shows us that when God deals with these horrible people that we are, when he deals with us, he comes down, takes off his rich clothes, walks with us, and suffers with us. And if, if there is any message of the cross that we should take away is that God is not aloof and far away. He is screaming, quite possibly literally, in the cross, that he is there with us in our pain. And he is there with us in the pain and the injustices all over the world that we see. And I guarantee you that those who go work among the poor, who do not have a good theology of the cross, who do not understand how God deals with pain, they end up distant from God. They end up with the age-old problem of pain and how God allows that. We need a deep understanding of the cross to deal with the messiness in our own lives and the lives of the world we see in our country and the messiness there. It's not about getting angry at it. It's about dealing with it. And, and, and God does it perfectly at the cross. But, but I feel like there are probably more, but I have three reasons why we don't think about the cross or we, we kind of downplay its significance in our society. Um, like I read in Isaiah 53, one of the things is the world doesn't like pain. So when we see painful, horrible things, we turn away. We don't want to stare it in the face. God, unlike us, stares pain in the face and deals with it. And we, like him, need to learn how to stare evil in the face as well. But we have a society, entertainment industry, advertising industry that's just flee from pain. It's a spiritual discipline to look at pain in healthy ways. Not to be morbid, not to do dumb suffering, but to face the world and evil where it's at. Another reason a lot of, people, a lot of us in this church, I'm guessing, if you come from a Christian background, don't think about the cross, is that it's normal. We've grown up since childhood, and, and the cross is like this normal thing, and we... It, we, it's a nice little necklace. It's, a, it's not shocking anymore. We forget the instrument of torture that it is. And I would hope that some of you have meditated on, on how horrible the cross is. Um, uh, but, but we forget. We forget what a shameful and horrible thing it was. It's very interesting to me to, to note that the first depiction of the cross... Uh, was a graffiti in a Roman uh, cave in, in the city of Rome. I think it was Rome. The Roman Empire for sure. But, um, and, and, and it was a Roman making fun of Alex Samos. It says, Alex Samos worshiping his God. First depiction, uh, artistic depiction of the cross ever found. And it's graffiti mocking the faith. Uh, Jesus is the head of a donkey, 
And this Roman just thinks that's the dumbest, most crazy idea he's ever heard. Like, your God is on a cross, ha, 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 he's a donkey, you're a donkey. How horrible. I think we forget what a shameful reality the cross was to those in the early Roman world. Once Christianity took over, we took away the crosses. We're not, you know, nobody, nobody dies like Jesus again. But even today, people are crucified. Uh, in, in ISIS and northern Iraq, people were crucified just as recently as last year. And uh, it's, it's done to impose political power through torture and horror. Uh, it, it's, crosses were set up outside the city so that everybody could see and everybody could mock. And kind of an interesting uh, reality when you read the Gospels uh, and, and, and letters of Paul about the cross, you know that there is pain involved because they describe what it's like. It's very, very painful to, to die on a cross. But when the people talk about the emotional feeling of that, they're not talking about physical pain. They're talking about shame. The early church had to contend with deep, deep shame about the cross. Shame that you and I don't need to contend with nowadays. But it's so shameful. What religion starts with somebody hanging in the most shameful way on a tree? Paul, you know, he, 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 he sees that shame, but he tells people, you've got to push through that. Because that is the power of what God is doing. So, we can be proud of what Jesus did on the cross, but we need to know that it came from a place of deep, deep shame. And when I talk to my Muslim neighbors in North Africa, they are right to say that God's favorite one, how could he be put on the cross? That's why they come up with all these theories about he's taken off and no, no, no prophet of God can be, be tortured and killed that way. It is, it is so shameful to them that we even think that God would do that, that he would choose to do that. But the Bible is very clear. Jesus was made a serpent put up on a pole. One of our most famous verses, John 3.16, but John 3.14, right before it, says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's the symbol of a serpent? What kind of pagan, horrible thing is a serpent? Biblically speaking, it's a symbol of Satan himself. Jesus was made Satan and put up on a pole. And people, all they had to do was look at it to find healing from their snake bites. And all we need to do is look up at the cursed figure on the pole to find healing. In Galatians, it's, it's even clear, Galatians 3.13, Christ became a curse for us. He who had no sin became a curse for us. It's radical, radical, taking upon the curse of the world onto himself. That's where the Apostles' Creed goes into the descent into hell, like goes all the way into hell. I find it very interesting that as I go around North Africa, different places, that when you look for the symbol of a pharmacy, you get a cross with a serpent up on a pole. Now, now, we think that's a, a Greek mythology thing, but I think that Jesus is doing a little double take on, on world history. And the, and the cross is, 
shown on every little pharmacy in every town all over North Africa. But still a radically shameful thing to be lifted up on a pole. Cursed is he who's on a pole. Another reason we, we sometimes don't think about the cross is because we have a really bad image of God and we think he is very distant and far away. And as mentioned, he, he's a God who comes close. The enemy wants to transform the message of the cross, wants to water it down, doesn't want you to think about how hard it was. I was just in Mexico a couple days ago, and, and the cross there is turned into uh, Santa Muerte. It's a whole cult, death cult, and they, and they use the cross as a symbol of it. And, and there's all kinds, and the Crusades, there's all kinds of ways that throughout history, different very errant aspects of Christianity have uh, either twisted the meaning of the cross or used it incorrectly. Or they have tried to ignore it altogether. Uh, one or the two. But we need to, we need to restore that. So yeah, I'm just going to go back to this image. Sorry. So uh, there's a lot of fruit that could come out of a, a deeper understanding of the cross, but in, for interest of time, I'm just going to mention three of them. Uh, today. Three fruits that, uh, that have kind of touched me and I'm, and I'm challenged in. Because despite our tendency to run from pain, despite kind of seeing the theme of the cross repeated many times, uh, and despite a bad image of God who, who stays up far away in the clouds and doesn't come down and is with us, I think if we lean into the cross, there are three ways that we can be transformed more deeply. And there's kind of signs that we understand more deeply the cross. It's, we're all on a journey, and, and the more of this, the better. The first one is the fruit of tears. If you understand the cross, you will break down and cry at the amazing power displayed by God in that time. Uh, I have this thing. When a lot of the older believers I know uh, have talked a lot about the cross throughout my life. And as a very arrogant and a little out of touch youth when I was younger, I thought, well, that's kind of old people theology. It's terrible. But actually, it might be because older believers have reflected and keep going deeper into how amazing God's sacrifice is, and so that's what they want to talk about. Maybe I just need to grow up and get old a little bit quicker and figure this out more. I'm getting old, by the way, but you know it's different. I want to weep. Well, I'm already kind of old, but when I get older, about the cross, because it's it it shows a deeper understanding of what God has done, and a deeper appreciation, and and that that gratitude is part of what God wants out of his display. He, you know, he didn't come to just do it, uh, just, to, just, just to do something mechanical. The reason why the cross is so visible and so in our face is because he didn't do it up in the sky where we don't understand. He did it down here with us so that we can see it, we can touch it, we can feel it. We know the pain at some level, and, and the more we know it, the more we can feel that gratitude. It's been said that you know how much you have been redeemed at the same level that you know how much you have been forgiven. You, 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 
you are grateful if you know you've been forgiven. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't think they needed to be forgiven, so they couldn't understand the amazingness of, of God's forgiveness and what God has to do to get there. But if you know how sinful you are, you will be grateful. Uh, the, the world likes talking about a God of love, but lots of times we seem we to forget how that love gets, gets played out. God is not a God who, you know, you just kind of sit down, have a Zen moment, and meditate, and say nice, happy thoughts about yourself, and you get better. Some, you know, some yoga and stuff, maybe it's not all that bad, I don't know, but, but it doesn't address the root causes of the misery that we're in. Christ on the cross is trying to do that. And meditation is great. Prayerful meditation is even better. But without an understanding of what actually brings peace in our life, all the happy talk is not going to help. All the saying great things about myself, and I, I really have a hard time with some of those meditation apps. And you know, I, I'm doing good on the listen to your, you know, feel your toes and think about how relaxed you are and all that kind of stuff. And then they say, speak happy kindness on you or something like that. And I'm like, no, I need Jesus to do that. And I need Jesus to do that because he has the authority because he knows how horrible I am and he can speak truth into me because he has taken care of it. And that's what I need. Another fruit is a fruit of freedom. Those who understand the cross are t more free than those who don't, way more free. Freedom today is you do what you want. You do you. Traditional freedom, and I believe kind of Judeo-Christian freedom, is you are free to do what is right. It's different. Yet we, today, we, we, we struggle up against a, an entire uh, industry of, of advertisement, culture, uh, philosophy that says, you know, you need to seek out pleasure and you need to seek out, uh, you, you need to self-actualize yourself. You need to, you need to be more you and do whatever you want. Uh, this is where my kids know whenever we watch a Disney film, and I know there's some good Disney films, stuff like that, but whenever we watch a Disney film, I, oh, this is the part where dad gets mad. Because the part... It's the part where they say, you just, I just found out who I was. I'm me. I'm like, you is really horrible. You is best if you understand who God has made you to be. And you need to be free to understand who Jesus tells you you are and not what society or your own thoughts say you are. And so my apologies to Disney lovers. I know there's a few here. But I really get, I still let my kids watch Disney, you know. I just pray over them and cast out the demons at the end. Demons of our societal groupthink that the cross is trying to break through. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, true freedom. I mean, when, when you go to somebody's funeral, something kind of relevant. You know, what, what do you what do you what do you remember them for? What what am I going to remember my mom for today? Am I going to remember the times that she was her and you know? ate great food and bought stuff at the supermarket and big stores or whatever around the world? No. What do we celebrate? We celebrate the sacrifice of the great saints. 
And we will celebrate the sacrifices of my mother today, as we should at every funeral. But she was free to make those sacrifices thanks to the cross. Uh, another, another way of dealing with, um, with that freedom is uh, John Mark Comer again. He, he talks about kind of a, a neo-Christian guilt that we have. We get kind of competing messages in the world. On one level, you be you, buy all a bunch of stuff, travel, have great vacations, and, and go do amazing things. And then the next time, oh, but you took a plane trip and you're not ecological enough. Oh, you bought a bunch of stuff and there's, there's Chinese labor that made that. Um, oh, you, you, know, you, you want diversity, but, but you're taking advantage of your privilege. And on and on, there's kind of a, there's kind of a there's, there's contradiction in our modern society. We do not, I, I want a better environment. I want more justice. I want more equality. I want uh, you know, women to, to be empowered. I want all that stuff. I want the same things a lot of my secular friends want, both on the left and the right. But the motivation for that is different. And dealing with the ugliness of not being able to do it radically all the way is different. We have to do something with that guilt. And the world has no place to put that guilt. And so you just kind of drink a little more, play a few more video games, you find some way to escape it. Buy more stuff. But we don't need to do that because we have a God who deals with the messiness of our guilt on the cross, and he knows how messy it is. And it's, it's one of those huge contradictions of our faith that we are empowered to do what is right as he is there with us in our mess. All the world religions are, you go do a bunch of good things and God will love you, and our faith is the opposite. In the worst, messy place that you are, that is where God shows his love to you first, and that empowers you to then go on and live out the gospel. And on the cross, he does that. We didn't fight for God to go die for us. He died for us first. And one of the last fruits I feel like people understand the cross, they're, they're, there's a sense of fearlessness about them. Not afraid of death. Not afraid of not succeeding. Not afraid of uh, failure. Not afraid of uh, not being beautiful enough. Not being, there, there's, a, there's a complete, God has done so much for me, I have no fear. They're free to be genuine people, who they are. Why show a mask? God knows who I am, and he has forgiven me. Why do I need to fake it? I'm a big faker. I naturally try to project success, and I apologize for that. I really work hard against it, and I still fail, because that's the way of the world. But we want to be authentic people, and I'm... Through the message of the cross, I, I want to be totally open about all that I messed up in. And I'm free to be open about my messed upness because of the message of the cross. Because in my messed upness, God loves me because of the cross. And, and that's who I am. A loved child of God with all the contradictions, but they're out there. And the cross allows that to continue.
Fleming Rutledge, which a lot of my talk is based on, she's my favorite theologian of the cross. She's an Anglican priest. She wrote a 670-page tome on, on the cross, and she's just amazing. But she says, only those whose eyes have been opened to the light of, the, of Christ rejoice to have their deeds exposed. Do you rejoice to show the worst of you to the world? If you do, you understand the cross. If you don't, you're just kind of like everybody else in our society. Nice Facebook page or whatever. Watch out. Our sense of sin uh, arises not out of browbeaten guilt, but for a yearning for God and his goodness. If we feel guilt, that is the enemy speaking. I'm not trying to guilt anyone. That's not the voice of God. It is an invitation to life through the death that is our life. Our lives are full of death, and it's through that, through that death of knowing who we are, knowing we need God's redemption, uh, that we find life. Um, I'm just going to end, start ending with a, with a story. A, a couple, a uh, year and a half ago, I wanted to go to, uh, I wanted to take a, a retreat. And uh, the closest place I could find for a, a silent retreat for a week, I really recommend people do that, silent prayer retreat. Um, and I went to southern France, and um, I was near this little town called Antibes. It's on the coast. And um, while I was there, I, I, I walked into the church, and this is a photo I took of that church. Um, and it's, it's an old, kind of a Romanesque, maybe 700-year-old church. And it was super cold. It was maybe about 2 degrees Celsius, just above freezing. I'm sitting on that cold bench, and I'm looking up at the cross. And uh, it's a pretty deformed Jesus on the cross. Very, it's a very dark Jesus, very deformed. And um, as many times when I've been in, in like Catholic churches and stuff like that, they, they're, they have very graphic crosses. So you know, I'm just thinking about and, and trying to be grateful to Jesus for his sacrifice and how much that must have hurt. When you're up on the cross, it, it, really, it really hurts a lot, um, in case you didn't get that. Um, you know, every time you breathe, you have to pull on your wounds to get a breath. Uh, people, it's, it's a very torturous way to go. And, I, and I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm a Baptist. And so, you know, us Baptists, we don't get a whole lot of visions from God. But, but maybe I did at this one point, particular moment, so you should stop and listen. Um, but uh, I felt like the face of Jesus kind of looked at me. And um, one of the things I don't like about a lot of Catholic depictions of the cross. I don't, they're, they're showing a person in suffering. Um, but Jesus kind of looks like a victim. Like, oh, you know, oh, poor me, you put me up here. Um, but in that little vision I had, it's kind of like a feeling more. Um, it's kind of hard to just describe it. Um, but uh, kind of see the eyes of Christ, and he's like, you know, Dean, I'm not a victim. I chose to be up here. Uh, you know, the cross, for Jesus to go to crucifixion, it was a, it was a conspiracy of the, the conservative 
uh, conservative um, Pharisees, the liberal Sadducees, the people, and the Roman Empire. All those four groups had a peace in Jesus going to the cross. They were all guilty. All four, you know, so whenever, whatever group you think you're a part of, you're a part of the empire, part of the people, part of the liberal, part of the conservative, you're all guilty. We all put them up there. And yet, Jesus was telling me, I chose to stay here. Every second I hung on this cross, I could have come down. You didn't just put me up here and I'm just like suffering, hoping it's going to end. I'm choosing every single second to stay here. Every little tick going by. I'm suffering, and I'm there for you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. I'm slightly misquoting, but it's there. That Christ was joyful to die on that cross for you. And he stayed up there because he was full of joy to be with you for eternity. That's God's character. In all my life, I've been praying for a different kind of God. I, I was thinking about this later, and I'm like, no, actually, I, I want a different kind of God sometimes. Wouldn't it have been cool had, you know, because they were all mocking him and saying, why don't you come down? He could have. What had he done it? What had Jesus been like, Boom! Jump off the cross. And uh, when I first told the story to Paige, she's like, oh, you're dated. But I like, I could be, Jesus could be Rambo. Powerful. Some superhero. Whatever, Batman or something. That, that's, what, that's what Hollywood wants, right? Big superhero to come down and win the day and do justice. First thing Jesus do when he jump off that cross, he take care of that evil Roman Empire. Let's take out the police. Let's take out the Military, industrial complex. Boom, boom, boom. They're all gone. Then he turned his sights on the next guilty group, those Pharisees, hypocrites. He takes them out. Then he takes out the Sadducees. Then he starts taking out all the hypocrites in the crowd. Oh, you know, you back there, you cheated on your wife. Boom, you're gone. You over there. You stole, you cheated on your taxes. Boom, you're gone. What happens? Nobody's left. Rambo Jesus is alone. And yet that's the kind of God we pray for all the time. God to come in, sweep, and kick some bad people somewhere. And I prayed for that for years without understanding God's character. But he stayed up on that cross because he loved those Romans he loved those Pharisees. He loved those Sadducees. He loved the people. And he, and, he, and he desperately wanted to be with them for eternity. He did it out of love. He did it out of discipline. He did it out of character. That's the kind of God we have. Um, I used to complain that people made beautiful crosses. I'm like, we're forgetting the horror that they were. And it's true. We need to remember that it was a horrible thing to die on a cross. Again, it was a symbol of, our, of the worst that we can offer the world. But what does God do with the worst that we can do with the world? He transforms it. It makes it something beautiful. 
So I'm good with beautiful crosses now. Because that's what God does with every one of us. Every one of us here is a twisted, horrible product of the devil and what he does. But what does God do with you? He wants to transform you. He does not want to leave you in the same place. He wants to make you beautiful. Uh, just at Easter, I heard Connie's talk at Easter. and When Christ came back from the dead, he didn't get rid of his scars. He didn't get rid of his hole in his side. He didn't get rid of the holes in his skull. They're still there. There's a memory of that. But it's glorified. It's different. I don't know the theology of heaven, but there's, there's going to be a memory of the scars. But the memory of the scars will be God's character transforming that, God's power transforming that. And I'm looking forward to that, seeing my scars transformed, looking at all your scars and all you messed up people and how beautiful you're going to be, and there's going to be a memory of that. Because that's God's character. He doesn't wait for you to be beautiful. He knows how horrible you are, and he wants that transformed. He wants the ugliness of the world transformed to the beauty and the most beautiful thing that he can make. So I'm going to end with this quote. Catholic, Swiss guy. Um, and um, about 100 years ago, uh, this, I, I just keep on mulling over this quote. It's quoted by a, a British pastor that works in the inner city of London. But it says, being disguised under disfigurement and ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. You want to know God? You can go stand on a mountaintop. You can go stand in the middle of a great cathedral. You can go to the most beautiful place in the world. You can have the most awesome experience you ever want. But you're not going to see all of God. Where do you see the most of God? Where do you see his character? Where do you see who he is? Where do you see his heart? It is hidden. It is disguised on the cross. And that is the hope that we preach when we preach Christ crucified to this world. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we want to collectively, individually, understand what you have done on the cross. We want your power. We want to be free. We want to have no fear. We want to weep in gratefulness at what you have done, and we want to rejoice and celebrate what kind of God we have. You do not sit afar. You come down low. You are not distant from pain, you are involved personally. Come, Lord Jesus, come into our lives. We pray this in the name of a Father who loves us, sent his Son, the name of a Son who has walked with us, suffered with us, even to the point of death on a cross, and has resurrected to new life, leading the way and opening the place for your Holy Spirit to indwell in us, empower us, and bring your power. Amen.